Welcome to Trading Tomorrow, Navigating Trends in Capital Markets. I'm your host, Jim Jockel. In my decade plus of working with Numerics, a global leader in capital markets risk management technology, I have launched our Thought Leadership Division, a place where insights, innovation, and expertise converge, just like this podcast. Through my journey in the financial realm, I've had the privilege of witnessing firsthand how the capital markets landscape has transformed. The complex dance of market trends and innovative technology has redefined how the finance industry operates. With game-changing innovations just around the corner, we now stand at a crossroads, one where it is more crucial than ever to understand the interplay between these realms. That's what we do here. We talk about current and future processes and technologies you need to be aware of moving forward. A survey conducted by Acuity found sell-side derivative clearing firms are expanding their memberships and expecting more completion in the market as interest rates rise, adding hundreds of millions of dollars to global revenues. But what will this mean, and can you get in on it? And joining me for this discussion, we have two guests today. First, Ross Lancaster is head of research for Acuity. The company launched in 2019 with the goal of providing increased transparency to operations across the global derivatives market. Since their launch, they've expanded their audience to over 3,500 senior derivative executives. Ross is the former Global Capital Derivatives Editor. Also joining us today is Udi Sella. Currently a senior VP of product and field marketing at Numerics, Udi has been very active in the derivatives industry for the last two decades. First as a derivatives trader at Citi and JP Morgan, then in product management roles at leading financial vendors. Ross, let's start with you. Uh, I found the report, the growing opportunity in derivatives clearing, to be uh, illuminating. Uh, For those of you who might not have read it, can you just provide us with a brief summary of the findings? Yeah, sure. So this was a report that we undertook in spring and summer of this year, when most of the clearing industry had been operating in a rising interest rate cycle for for about a year. And, And while this dynamic has obviously had mixed effects across finance as a whole, for for futures commissions merchants or FCMs, uh, as I'll refer to them from now on, it's had one clear benefit, and that is the return of net interest income on client margin as a revenue stream. Uh, we can talk about this in more detail later, but, but the bottom line is that this has rapidly improved the economics of clearing uh, to the extent that incumbent firms are now looking to expand and uh, other firms are considering entering the space. And that trend is what we set out to explore with this report. This is positive and a big change from the past few years. Can you explain why? Yeah. So before the near decade of zero interest rate policies that would just come out of, the net interest of income the FCMs earned on client margin was significant. The estimates put it at between one quarter and one half of clearing firms' revenues. And that got wiped out when the major central banks started cutting rates towards zero after 2007-8. Now, that obviously hit FCMs hard, and their pain was then compounded by the reduced volatility of that period, uh, which lowered volumes in many previously profitable markets, such as interest rate options. Uh, Those conditions led many firms to cut their commissions in an effort to capture market share, and that ultimately led to lower revenue across the, the industry. Now, these dynamics had such negative impact on FCM business models that many pulled out of the industry altogether. Uh, but now with interest rates as well as volatility rising, 
uh, over the last year, those two negative forces have reversed, and that has boosted the FCM business model. Why are interest rates considered to be a positive factor for businesses in the derivatives industry? Sure. Um, well, so, so rising interest rates have required adjustments from the zero interest rate period you know, across financial markets, you know, as we've seen over the last year. That's led to significantly higher levels of volatility and increased trading volumes, uh, which is good for the derivatives industry as a whole. Uh, and that includes FCMs, which have also benefited from the lift to net interest income. Uh, and the revenues that they're now enjoying, uh, which have come about with very little change to existing business models, are so high that they can now consider investment or even acquisitions uh, that would have been hard to justify during the last decade. Uh, for me, markets always kind of have two dynamics, right? Or two main motivations for moves. One is greed and one is fear. Yes. When interest rates were hovering around zero, for people that need, uh, so first of all, there were not many market opportunities to actually uh, put on trade ideas and trade. And the other thing, there were not, there were, there weren't too many reasons to hedge against the rising rates, right? Because basically, the central banks provided a free option, and this changed. So, right, we had the COVID, and then we had, uh, we still have, unfortunately, the war, uh, the war in Ukraine, and then inflation. So basically, uh, the central bank, starting with the Fed, woke up a little bit uh, late. Right? So then they needed to be really aggressive in terms of hiking rates. And that, that was kind of a global phenomenon. And since this happened, basically, people start, needed to put some, uh, first of all, to, to hedge uh, against, you know, a floating rate uh, uh, risk. And then also, that was also uh, a market opportunity. We've seen recently that, you know, very large investors in the U.S. were shorting the 10 years. So again, uncertainty, fear, greed, hedge. Yes. So, and, and this is good for all of us. Ross, it seems like you agree. Yeah, definitely. And, and you know, you only have to look at the the figures for kind of volumes over you know since 2020 and how much those have increased uh, you know massively from from the, you know, the last decade year on year. Uh, yeah, to, to to agree with UD's point. <laughs> well, how might the reversal of a decade-long decline in the number of futures commissions merchants FCMs impact the overall derivatives market? So, so as mentioned earlier, you know one of the results of lower interest income and volumes was was the exit from clearing market by some FCMs and consolidation between others. Uh, it, this wasn't something that just happened at the margins. The, the total number of FCMs globally has fallen from 170 before the 2008 financial crisis to, to 70 today. So a really material change. Uh, and that's reduced competition in the sector, obviously. Uh, but now to the extent where many would-be clients are kind of calling out for more FCMs. And the hope is that more FCMs will then help the industry as a whole to handle the rise in volumes that we've just discussed in a cost-efficient way, as well as mitigating concentration risk. From my perspective, so with regards to the FCM, so I do understand the consolidation. And when you think so, Ross clearly mentioned the fact that you need to, to cope with the uh, rising volumes, right? But I also think that uh, as an FCM, and this is also true for clearinghouses, you can either, you know, add more products, add more clearinghouses, or offer more value-add uh, solutions. Just like uh, Jerome Kemp mentioned, for, you know, from the town systems. What would some of those value-added solutions be? In my opinion, it's mostly about, you know, uh, optimization tools. Where's the best place to clear? Where's the best place to trade? 
So basically getting more return on each buck that I trade. So some of that gap could be filled with technology. Absolutely. And in fact, we do, we do see vendors out there. And there's a lot of demand from, uh, from clients for decision support tools in this area. So I think it's a massive opportunity. Ross, how about you? Yes, definitely. And, and you know, the, the rise in interest income that, you know, we've been discussing so far is, is also going to support that because there's cash available for investments in, in technology in a way that there, there hasn't been for, for the last decade for many, many players. How do you think the increased competition in the derivatives clearing market could influence the overall market dynamics? First of all, I think it's good for the market. And I think it's good for the players. And I think that we can expect competition on prices. We can expect competition on services. And also about, you know, in terms of more markets to address. So I think all in all, this is, I, I see this as, just as a positive development for anyone who trades. Yeah, you know, I mean, our research, you know, it's shown that rising interest rates and the effect on interest income isn't the only poor factor for expanding or in a, or joining the FCE space at the moment. And actually, ninety five percent of the clearing executives that we surveyed were increasing the number of clearing memberships on the back of increasing volumes in specific exchanges or regions. Um, and there's a very interesting kind of tilt to emerging markets, so so it could lead to increased access to markets like China, Brazil. Mexico and Poland. Um, I think you know another interesting point is that we're also like our research indicates that we're likely to see more firms that made their names in other markets branching into the FCM business. So names that you usually associate with cryptocurrencies or, or retail brokerage, it, you know, may well be coming online in an offering clearing for kind of more tradfi products uh, in, in the next couple of years, and that will increase the diversity of FCMs, which is a which will be a good thing. Why is that, Ross? If you look at, so say, kind of take cryptocurrencies, uh, it's probably the best example. Um, obviously, you've had a, a couple of years where they've been in the limelight and you know, lots of people have been looking at the big returns you can get there. Those returns, you know, have become under a bit of a challenge in the last couple of years, but, you know, for a variety of reasons, one of which is, you could say, rising interest rates. So those businesses are having to diversify and branch out into other, other offerings. For people that uh, work with specific FCMs, the fact that they branch out into more uh, clearing houses, more markets, basically means more markets to trade and more opportunity. And this is really positive. So you can express your view in a specific economy. Now you have the access and you feel secure and everything, all your margins are kind of managed in one place. So this is also gives you operational efficiency. How hard is it to make a jump like that? So this is why I think uh, the entry barriers are pretty high in terms of cost, in terms of training personnel, in terms of understanding the local regulation per market that you work with. So yeah, definitely it represents more cost for sure. But then hopefully that, you know, the opportunity for the uh, FCMs and the clearing houses also increases. And, and then you get more volumes. So always, you know, one of the biggest problems when you trade in markets is the liquidity. The more international players that you get and work in local markets, it, it, it adds and contributes the liquidity, which in, in, in turn reduces volatility and gives you um, debt. So typically international, you know, investors like to invest in markets that, you know, we always say easy to get in, but hard to get out that you can also get out of a position. So like liquidity is super important. So 
The more FCM branching into more markets, the better it is for the trading community. Higher interest rates could lead to operational challenges for FCMs. Can you explain what some of these challenges might be and how FCMs could address them? I wouldn't say kind of necessarily that higher interest rates per se present specific operational challenges, but you know, for, for anyone setting up an FCM business looking to clearing, uh, the operational barriers are very high. You've got issues to consider like technological connectivity, license fees with vendors, legal fees, you know, sort of Udi just touched on. These are all, you know, considerable sunk costs that any entrant will have to take on. Uh, And it can be a multi-year process of onboarding onto new exchanges and CCPs. Uh, You know, beyond that, firms then also have to train their staff in the different processes at different CCPs uh, and allocate resources for default fund contributions and other upfront costs. Uh, Also, adding new asset classes will require integrating new risk management systems that are built for those markets. Uh, So, yeah, the the, the costs are, are considerable. And Udi, how about you? The only thing I will add is what Ross touched at the beginning. So we, we spoke about uh, rising interest rates. I think what's more interesting, it's not just the fact that the interest rate rise, it's more about rising volatility. Because rising volatility means rising uncertainty, which is basically the driver to most uh, you know, trading decisions. We always said, you know, vol is good. Can you provide an example of how technology could help FCMs optimize their operations in a changing market? Yeah, so I think uh, this is not just, you know, for, for the topic of our uh, session today. From the, uh, let's say, 80s to perhaps, you know, the, uh, a few years ago, the focus was really on getting, you know, front to back workflow picking and covered. And now what, what people are looking uh, to, uh, to use technology for is really uh, improving the decision making. So... From our conversations with our clients, with our prospects, with our partners, etc., or just peers in the industry, it is really about decision support tools. So in the, in the case of, um, and this is also mentioned in Ross's article, right? How do I optimize, how do I use my collaterals in the most optimized way? What is the best allocation? Is it by cash? Is it government bonds? Is it corporate bonds? Is it something else? What is the right proportion of each? In which market should I actually use that? How can I? Because everyone is now. We see that you know since since the subprime crisis and the regulation that came afterwards, everything that has to do with uh, regulatory capital for banks, the requirements are increasing. As you know, the regulators don't want to bail out banks anymore. Everyone is tight on regulatory capital. So any any even you know marginal savings that one can apply are very much well received. And this is where I think specifically banks, but not just banks, are reaching out to technology vendors, looking for solutions to optimize that. To me, that's really critical. And this is why I see technology coming in and helping. And then also remember, if when you, if you're trading um, in multiple, multiple markets globally, this is a big uh, operational hassle. You deal with different currencies, with different products, with different markets, with different regulations. So you need that. You need to manage this operational risk in the most efficient way. And again, this is where vendors kick in. Yeah, you know, I completely agree on the kind of the importance of collateral optimization. Um, you know, one other part of the technology stack I'd, I'd point to it, it ties into with his earlier point on kind of volatility and you know, how fast moving today's markets are. If you know. 
the need to hedge off on an intraday basis means that kind of risk management systems uh, that are able to move away from end of day calculations and towards that kind of intraday monitoring, I, I think, are going to become very important. Um, you know, as I said earlier, people now have cash on the back of you know, the rising interest rate dynamic we just discussed, and uh, the opportunity to finally invest in these sort of systems is, uh, has arrived. We've come up to the final question of this podcast, uh, the one that I find to be the most exciting. Uh, Ross, this question is for you. If you could only track one trend for the next few years, what would it be and why? Yeah, I think I'd be very interested in seeing how the balance of OTC and exchange traded derivatives develops in the next few years. As regulators have taken steps over you know the last decade to make OTC trading more onerous since, since the great financial crisis, but... You know, recent research that we've done elsewhere, you know, suggests that some firms, such as prop traders, are actually increasing their use of these markets. So, so how that develops will be a very interesting narrative to follow. And Uri, how about you? I'm not sure that it's tied a little bit tied to what Ross said. I think that we would see uh, banks moving away from market making for vanilla products, and I think that the market making would come more from the buy side the likes of Susquehanna, Citadel, etc. And I think there will be much uh, scrutiny, again, with banks, focusing on uh, trading businesses, which generate high returns, and moving away from low-margin business. Unless you have the economies of scale, and, and then it works. So for me, these are the trends that I cannot foresee. I'd like to thank you both, Ross and Udi, for joining us for this conversation. Coming up next week, we'll dive deep into the world of virtual reality trading desks. Get ready for a don't-miss episode. But first, if you enjoyed the podcast, make sure you hit the subscribe button, leave a comment, a like, and check out our other episodes. Thanks for joining. <laughs>